Let's go to Job 29, and we will continue our ongoing saga through the life of Job. Remember when we started, we wanted to make sure that we maintained an emphasis, emphasis working our way through Job, that Job's God's champion. We know in chapter 1 and 2 that Job was a righteous man. No one was like him in all the earth. God singled him out to uh, um, have spiritual battle against Satan himself. Uh, God holding Satan's leash allowed Satan to do whatever he thought he could do to make Job reach the point where he would curse God and die. He would give up his relationship with God. And all the way through, we see Job unwilling to do that. Rather, Job clings to his God all the way through. Now, when we read where Job cries out to God and says, I don't understand what's going on, that's not the same thing. The Bible never condemns people for calling out on, on the Lord and asking Him, you know, what's happening? Why is this going on? But God also wants us to understand, sometimes He won't answer that. Job, however, all the way through, won't let go. He won't let go of God. That's why by the time we get to chapter 42, we're going to hear God declare that Job was right, all his friends were wrong, and that they need to hope Job will pray for them. Because if Job won't pray for them, God's going to bring the same judgment upon them. So as we go through and we work our way, we need to make sure that we maintain that attitude. Job's God's champion. He had God right. God was about relationship, not ritual. The God was about the, the, the uh, sacrificial faith and the sacrificial system and the walking by faith that Job had done up until this point. Remember, Job predates law. Job predates Israel. Uh, he runs around the time of Abraham. And, and he already at that point, Genesis 15, is an example to us of a man walking by faith through spiritual warfare. The Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. If you're going to win spiritual battle, then you're going to need to understand the battleground. It's not your might and power that provide the victory. It's your relationship with God and the strength and the value that you put on that relationship. That is what keeps Job together. Tonight we're going to look at the end of Job's talk. Job's going to share these last three chapters. Elihu, we'll look at next week, is going to share five chapters, uh, telling Job why he's a knucklehead, and then God's going to show up. And then everybody's going to know who the knucklehead is and who the knucklehead isn't. And so as we, as we work our way through, we're going to look at 29. 29 is God gives, 30, God takes away, 31. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's going to follow that pattern. The same thing he declared at the beginning as he works his way through the, the continuing battle that he has to fight day in and day out. So 29 begins. Job further continued his discourse. Remember he was talking last time. Job further continued his discourse and he said, Oh, that I were as in the months of past, as in the days when God watched over me, when His lamp shone upon my head, and when by His light I walked through the darkness. He begins by talking about when, before all this spiritual battle began, back when everything was good, he could see and, and understood God's kindly care 
the care that led him through the darkness. See the same thing that the psalmist declares. The psalmist declares the same thing. Thy word is a light, right? That leads my path, guides me. In Deuteronomy, the Lord called the nation of Israel to keep his word as frontlets between their eyes. Now, in, in famous uh, uh, humanistic style, they, take, they took that to mean, let's put it in a box and strap it to our forehead. And we'll walk around with phylacteries. And the bigger your phylactery, the more holy you are. But simply what God was declaring in Deuteronomy is, let the word of God be the lamp. Be your guide. Direct your steps. And that's exactly what Job is saying. Man, God's care was here. God was with me. He led me. He showed me the way. He talks about several things. God watching over him. His lamp shining upon his head. So God is his illumination. And then he goes on to say, His light is how I got through the darkness. So God's revelation, what God was showing him, what God was directing to him, is what was carrying him through. Then he goes on in verse 4. Just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent. He says, oh, back in those days when, when before all this had started, before I had lost everything, it was like God was my special friend in my house. He's not talking about, I had a relationship with God at the church. I had a relationship with God at this shrine. I had a relationship with God at that altar. He's saying, I had a relationship with God in my house. His friendly counsel. Some Bibles say his secret counsel. It's the same thing. The idea is that special counsel you have one-on-one with a friend in your home. So we have, again, that same idea. The Bible tells us that that, uh, God spoke to Moses like a friend, right? Face to face. We see Abraham, in, 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 a, in a sense, being a friend of God. Now, Job, the same way. So, so how would you describe your relationship with God? Because sometimes people say, I have a relationship with God, but it doesn't look like that. Is your relationship with God mean God's in your house? Or God is you drive to the place where God is, and that's how you have a relationship with God? Because that's not a relationship. That's ritual. So the relationship would mean that's in my home. That's part of my life. I wake up with him. I sup with him. I, I, whatever I'm doing at home is with him. And when we understand that, I think a lot about our, our um, lifestyle and the things that we do and the way we live at home, it changes. Because, because God's there with us. And this is what Job's talking about, man. God was with me. His friendly counsel was over my tent. When the Almighty was yet with me. When, when the Almighty was, was with me. The idea is not that He's not with Him now, but the concept of His blessing. Right? In the beginning, remember, Job had a lot of stuff. So he says, he's talking about the Almighty's blessing being over him. And we know that because of the second phrase in verse 5. When my children were around me. What are, the, what are children? They're a blessing from the Lord. You know what the Bible declares? They're a blessing from the Lord. So when he says, when the Lord was yet with me, he clarifies it, when my children were here. Now, his children are dead. But he's recognizing the blessing of God in his life, in the example of his children. So he's looking at all the blessings that God had given him, that he had experienced. He says, when my steps 
were bathed with cream. The idea in, in the language in the Hebrew is, is talking about the cream, the, the milk and butter and the byproducts of his, of his herds and the things that he had. And the second one is about his uh, vineyards and his uh, olive groves. He says, and the rock poured out rivers of oil for me. The rock press by which they would press the olives or by which they would press the grapes. So the concept is, again, God's blessing, the bounty, the, the beauty that God was had bestowed upon him. And he's remembering those things. He's taken a walk through the, the period of his time, not so long before, when he had felt the blessing of God so so richly. He goes on to talk about even the, the blessing of his public life. Look, he said, When I went out to the gate by the city, and when I took my seat in the open square, the young men saw me and hid, and the aged arose and stood. He's talking about the fact that he was in a position of leadership. Anytime the Bible talks about taking a seat in the gate, the gate is where the elders of the city sat, and it's where they dealt with the city problem. So if one neighbor had a problem with another, they would go to the gate, and that's where they would settle it. So he's saying, here, we're at the gate. I, I had honor. I had respect from, from, the, from the people. Um, the princes refrained from talking. So even the royalty would be quiet when, when Job was speaking. And they put their hand on their mouths. The voice of the nobles was hushed. And their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouth. So it's like the E.F. Hutton commercials. You guys remember those? When E.F. Hutton talks, nobody remembers? People listen. Well, in this case, it was, it was Job. So when Job, when Job was talking, when he had something to say, people listened. They recognized his relationship with God and the blessing of God on his life. It says, when the ear heard, and it, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw, it approved me. So when people heard what he had to say or saw how he lived his life, he had the respect of the, of the public. He had the respect of them. And he tells us why. He's talking about his public life. In verse 12, begins with the phrase, because. So he's going to tell us why they listened, why they approved when they saw, why they would stand up when he walked into a room, why he was respected. So he tells us. Because I delivered the poor who cried out. The fatherless and the one who had no helper. Some of the specific things that the Bible calls us to is to help those who can't help themselves. That's why the Bible constantly refers to widows and orphans. Because who was the one to watch over the widow? Her husband. And who was the one to take care of the orphan? Well, the father. That's how the society worked. I don't know if we can make a direct correlation today because our society is not necessarily that way. Sometimes a woman can take very good care of herself without a husband. In those days, she couldn't. You guys get what I'm saying? And sometimes in these days, sometimes a guy cannot take care of himself at all. Not hardly a lick. But the idea that Job's talking about is when they cried, I helped. Didn't the Bible talk about if it's if it's within your power to help when asked and you don't help, that, that God says that's a sin? If you're able, if you're able to be a part and you're able to help, he wants so that's what Job's saying. Look, this was my attitude toward the helpless. My attitude toward the helpless was they called, I helped. 
The blessing of a perishing man came upon me. When he's talking about that, a man dying. So when a man was dying, they would call Job, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. So he would go to comfort. He would go to the dying man. He would go to the woman who's about to be the widow and support through that period of time. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. So a lot of people stumble on that. They say, well, how in the world could Job put on righteousness? Is he talking about his own? Well, of course he's not talking about his own. He lived a a right life externally, but Job's talking about the righteousness that he put on every day when he made his sacrifice, when he called upon the name of the Lord to cover him. Didn't the Bible say in chapter 1 and 2, every day Job made sacrifice? Doesn't say that. Every day he made a sacrifice for himself and for his children, lest they had sinned and not known it, so that he would be covered by the blood of the Lamb. So he lived a life covered by the blood of the Lamb. What's that make you? Righteous. And he says, so, so my righteousness clothed me. The righteousness clothed me. Uh, or I put on righteousness and it clothed me. And my justice was like a robe and a turban. <clears throat> he goes, I was eyes to the blind. So now we see that he had the actions that he had toward people who were in need. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor. And I searched out the case that I didn't know. He was looking, actively looking for opportunity to be a blessing in somebody else's life. Not that long ago, I had uh, a couple of guys. They're at Bible college now. They come to me and they talk about, man, Jackie, I really think I'm supposed to be in ministry. And I, I think God's calling and directing me in this way. And I said, man, that's awesome. And they said, so what can I do around here? And I said, so you can see a need and be the solution for it. But what do you mean? Well, you know, you're, you go into the bathroom and the toilet's overflowing. You can come tell me, or you can fix it. Oh, can't I just go tell Jason? I don't want to do that. Yeah, you can. But then you're not being a minister. You realize minister does not mean the guy who teaches. Minister, diakonos, means the one who serves. I said, you're coming into church and you see an, an older woman or couple having a hard time getting out of the car, or getting into the church, go help them. That's what it is to minister. See a need and be a solution for it. That's what Job did. That's why God said, Job's righteous, man. There's nobody like him on the earth. Well, what are some of the reasons why he's righteous? Because he was that. Eyes to the blind. Feet for the lame. There's a lame guy. He can't get to and fro. I'm going to make sure he gets to where he needs to go. You think it's harder for us today than it was for Job? He didn't have a car. He couldn't like drive over and pick the dude up. Hey, let me take you to town. How'd Job take him to town? Hey, brother, let's hop on the donkey. Let's go. So it costs time. It costs effort. And now, those guys are learning that in Bible Slave College. Because I sent them where I went. God have mercy on their souls. But the, that concept, that's important to understand. That's what it means to minister, to serve. And not only that, he was the defender of the weak. Look at verse 17. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. 
So if he saw someone taking advantage of somebody else, burning somebody, doing something, he took care of it. So he was okay with confronting something that's not right. Somebody that didn't, that wasn't doing the right thing. Then he talks about the fact that he had physical strength. He was even blessed with physical strength. Look at 18. Then I said, I, I shall die in my nest and multiply my days as the sand. He gives the, the, the metaphor of a tree. Listen, my root spread all the way out to the waters and the dew always light all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me and my bow is renewed in my hand. The idea in the poetic language, I had it together. I could do things. I, my roots were deep. I had strength. I had sustenance. I had everything that I needed to be and to do and to accomplish. I was like a fruitful tree <clears throat> that was continually bearing fruit. I was able. What's the Bible say about Moses? It tells us Moses was 80 years old, but still had the same strength he had when he was 40. Because he had been blessed. And he recognized that blessing coming from the hands of God. God sustaining. God taking care. God, God carrying him through. <clears throat> he goes on and says in verse 21, Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. And after my words, they did not speak again. And my speech settled on them as dew. Now he's going to define what that means. They waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide for the spring rain. He, they were when when he gave counsel, when he brought comfort, the people received it like a thirsty man needing water. They waited for it. They were silent. They accepted what he had to say, and then they didn't argue or, or complain about it. They took what he said and they went on. Hey, let's go. Let's go try it. That's just what Job said. That's the kind of standing Job had publicly. Kind of blessings that he had in his life. And he's just rehearsing them. He said, if I mock them, they wouldn't believe it. And the light of my countenance, they did not cast down. The light of his countenance, the, the way that he looked, the, the way that, that, that God shone through his eyes is the idea. The way that the light of Christ was reflected in his life. He's like, man, they, the, my countenance, they didn't cast down. I chose the way for them. So, so I would, I would help to guide. And I sat as chief. He, he was, um, exalted among the men. So he dwelt like a king in the army and one who comforts mourners. And then chapter 30 begins with this. But now. So the Lord gave. Now the Lord takes away. But now they mock at me. Men younger than I, whose fathers I disdained to put with the dogs of my flock. Indeed, what profit is the strength of their hands to me? Their vigor has perished. They are gaunt from want and famine, fleeing late into the wilderness, desolate and waste, who pluck mallow by the bushes and broom tree roots for their food. They are driven out from among men. They shouted at them as at a thief, and they had to live in the clefts of the valley, in caves of the earth and in the rocks. Among the bushes they brayed, under the nettles they nestled. They were sons of fools, yes, sons of vile men. They were scourged from the land. And now I am the taunting of their song. So, Job is saying, at one time I, I held the respect of men, but now 
even the most vile men that aren't even fit to live in town, who live in caves, who have nothing, who, who live like wild animals, mock me. I don't, I don't even garnish the respect of those men. So the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So he goes through now the things he lost. I am their byword. They abhor me. They keep far from me. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. Does that remind you of anybody? When we start to look at the life of, of Christ and the life of Job, and we look at Job in the, in the period of time when he lost everything, what does it say? Everyone forsook him. Didn't everybody do the same for Jesus? They all forsook him. And, then, and, the, and the things get more and more clear as you look through Job's life. You see the, 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 the scourge, the, the, the worst of society spitting in Job's face. And you see the same thing in Christ, only not just the worst. They, they spit in his face, just like Job. Whenever we look at Job and we look at the suffering of men, sometimes I think we think, you know, what, what right does God have to expect things like this out of one of us. But didn't he call us to Jesus, come follow me? You guys are aware where he was going when he said that, right? He wasn't going to heaven. When he called the disciples, where was he going? Three years to the cross. When he said, come and follow me, when he bids us come, he bids us come and die. Not come and have a lot of money. Now, while you may have a lot of money, Job certainly did, and so did Abraham, and God blessed him further later on. But the bid is a bid to come and die. God's not asking any more from us than He asked of His own Son. As He exalts us, as He proclaims His cause... As he, as he is exalted, so we want to we wanna recognize that. When this is happening to Job, the same exact thing is going to be happening to God's son. He says, why? Why did they spit on him? Because he has loosed my bowstring and afflicted me, so they have cast off restraint before me. So because God has loosed my bowstring, he's taken my strength, he's taken my honor, the Lord gives... The Lord takes away. He's taken all from me and afflicted me. Therefore, all those guys who would never have thought to treat me the way they treat me now, that's how they treat me. Now they have cast off restraint. At my right hand, the rabble arise. They push away my feet. So he's talking about as he's, he's out there and suffering and the people come by, they walk by and his, his feet, maybe he's, just, he's laying there and they just kick his feet out of the way. People who at one time used to stand up when he walked into the room. So we see the, the change in how people viewed him. They break up my path. Uh, and they, ra- they raise against me their ways of destruction. They break up my path. They promote my calamity. They have no helper. They come as broad breakers under the ruinous storm. They roll along. They're like guys who tear down a house. You guys have heard the poem, right? Does it take a man of greater skill to tear down or build up? Tearing down a house is easy. Building a house is another matter altogether. 
Anybody can tear down a house. All you need is a big enough stick. Not anybody can build a house. So these guys are broad breakers. The kind of people who come in and destroy, tear things down. They're like a ruinous storm rolling along. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor as the wind and my prosperity has passed like a cloud. So all this stuff is gone. All these things are taken away. And remember how this began in, in verse 1, but now. In verse 9, and now. In verse 16, and now. Again and again, he's talking about what I had once and what I have now. What the Lord gave and what the Lord took away. And now my soul is poured out because of my plight. So he's going he's gonna to talk about now what do I have? No health. The days of affliction take hold of me. My bones are pierced in me at night. And my gnawing pains take no rest. So he is in physical pain. I don't know if you've ever had opportunity to have your uh, bones pierced. Well, it's a lot of pain. And when he describes it, he's describing the kind of physical pain that he finds himself in. He says, By great force my garment is disfigured. It binds me about like a collar of my coat. So he's talking about his, his skin, his physical uh, uh, appearance has been altered. He's swollen, he's, he's blackened, he's going to tell us in a moment. He doesn't even look anything like he used to. He has cast me into the mire and I have become like dust and ashes. In the Bible, when it talks about that, that, that we are cast into the mire, all the time we see that, especially in the Psalms, he's talking about our, we're losing our attitude. In other words, we don't have a sunny disposition. He's down in the mire. He's down in the muck. And that's how he feels. He's, he's lost his physical form. His body is all messed up. He's in a lot of pain. Uh, and his attitude. He's losing his attitude. Attitude is is fleeing from him. He can't cling to it. He's in the depths of depression. So he says in verse 20, So I cry out to you. Not only does he have no health, he has no help. I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. Now the reason why this is exciting when we look at Job is because earlier Job said, back in the old days when I talked to God, he talked to me. See, we always assume when we read stories like this that that their lives are like ours sometimes. You know, very seldom do we legitimately hear the voice of God. But we're talking about in the days of the patriarchs. How did Abraham know to follow God? God spoke to him and said, Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. And Abe said, okay, I'll go. So when Job says, I called on God and God answered me, God spoke to me, it's not necessarily the way we have it today, which is the way it's intended to be today. The Bible tells us that God has spoken all the things He intends to speak. There's no new revelation coming. It's always a warning when somebody stands up and says, I have a, a new revelation from God. Because Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, God wrapped up everything He had to say in His Son. When Jesus said it, when it was penned and put down in the final book, of the canonized scripture, the book of Revelation, and what is the warning in there? Do not what? Add or take away. Why? Because it's done. I don't got nothing else to say. 
Does that mean God doesn't speak into your individual life? No. But God doesn't give you a special revelation. God doesn't have new prophets coming on the scene that say a new revelation of a further revelation that nobody knows. In fact, when people buy that idea, they find themselves trapped in, in things that aren't true. God has finished. He finished what he had to say. Well, I think God spoke to Job. But now God's not speaking. Now Job's in the middle of a, of a spiritual battle and God is saying, Job, you, you're, you're doing battle with Satan. I, I know you can defeat him. What does the Bible say? To defeat Satan. It's the same as Job does here. The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and what will he do? He will flee. What's the first one? Submit to God. So, so, don't we see Job doing that? He, isn't he receiving from God what's in his life? He don't understand it. He don't know why. But everywhere he says, this is from you. This is from you. Though you slay me, I will praise you. That's what Job says. So he submits to God. And then he resists the devil. What does wife tell him to do? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. Turn your back on God. Forget about God. And Job said... Shall we, if we have received good from the Lord, not also receive evil from His hand? He says, you're speaking like one of those foolish women. I won't curse God and die. And so he is submitting to God and resisting the devil. By the time we get to 38, the devil's gone. And the only one left standing is Job and God. And God's going to talk to Job again. Right now, Job cries out. God's not answering. He says, I stand up and you regard me, but you have become cruel to me. The point that, that Job is saying is he's emphasizing everything that was happening in his life came from God. Sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our theology around that. But I'm sorry. You're going to have to get over it. The Lord sent an evil spirit to, to take care of Saul, didn't he? He sent a lying spirit to the kings so that the prophets would lie to the kings and the kings would believe the false prophets. He gave the people what they wanted because they didn't want him. They didn't want the truth. He held the leash of Satan, but he turned Satan loose on Job. And if it's going to bring about God's glory and it's going to bring about your good, He'll unleash Him on you too. But it'll never be to destroy you. That's the difference. See, we think when we go through suffering, it's to destroy us. But God says when we go through suffering, it's for our good and His glory. Job accepted it, submitted to it, resisted the devil. He's going to have victory over the devil. And he's trusting in God. Even though God doesn't help him. And he sees these judgments in his life as the hand of God, the cruelty of the Lord. But the Bible tells us the cruelty of God is better than the goodness of men. The Bible says, uh, the, 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 how's it go? The proverb, the, the ah, kisses of uh, what are deceitful? The kisses of what? Mm, flattery? I don't remember. But anyways, the idea, when we speak the truth in love, 
even if it's hard to handle, it's good. But the but the kisses of an enemy, that's deceitful. They they'll tell you how great you are, but but they're not trying to help you. When God works in our life and moves in our life, sometimes it feels like cruelty, but in reality it's for our good. He goes on to tell him, You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride on it. And you have spoiled my success. Remember all Job's riches, where are they? All gone. All gone. All my stuff has been gone. All my all my things have been taken away. For I know that you will bring me to death. He says the grave is coming. From Job's point of view, he's going to die. Now we know from chapter 2, God told Satan you can't kill him. But Job wasn't there for that discussion. So what Job's going through feels like death. So he says, hey, I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for all the living. There's one thing appointed to man. to First he dies and then the judgment, right? This is appointed unto man. Unless God intervenes, we're all going to die. Every single one of us. Job says, I'm going to go to that house too. I'm going to go to that house and, and there's no help. God's not talking to me. I'm suffering. The Lord gave. These are the things the Lord has taken away. Surely he would not stretch out his hand against the heap, against the heap of ruins if they cry out when he destroys it. He's saying, surely I have, I'm as low as I have to go. But really, there's not too much else to take from Job but his life. That's, that's pretty much all he's got left. And have I not wept for him who was in trouble? Now he's going to say, not only do I have no health, not only do I have no help, I don't have any hope. He says, listen, have I not wept for him who was in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Remember I told you, a lot of people have a hard time with this. We, we tend to think, and the Bible teaches us that there's a law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping is spiritual law, not physical law. What do I mean? If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. That means an existence apart from God in hell. And if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap eternal life. That means you'll go to heaven. It doesn't mean, like Job, but I took care of the poor and the sick and the guy with no feet and the guy with no eyes. And now I'm that guy. And nobody's here. It doesn't mean that whatever you give is what you get. So Job has not only lost his health, not only lost his his help, but now he's saying, I don't have any hope. But when I looked for good, evil came. You ever had days, months, weeks, years like that? Yeah, Murphy's Law, right? If I drop a neatly buttered piece of toast, yeah, it's going to stick to the floor. Right on top of a dead fly carcass lately. Which will actually get me to stop eating it. Even though I will take moldy bread and toast it, I will not eat flies stuck to my jelly. Isn't it good to know I have some limit? I will eat a pizza out of an oven with two dead mice in it. But I will not eat a piece of bread with dead flies stuck to it. So, now you know. When I looked for good, evil came. And when I waited for light, then came the darkness. I have a saying. You know, it's always darkest right before it goes totally black. And if you see a light at the end of a tunnel, it's a train. It's the same thing, right? I'm looking for good, evil comes. I'm looking for light, but it's only more darkness. He's talking about the, lo- the loss of hope. 
My heart is in turmoil and cannot rest. And days of affliction confront me. Saying not only my, my heart hurts me, my, I, don't, I can't rest, I can't sleep. All these problems. We've all experienced that, right? Where something's bugging us, some trouble we have going on, and we're, we're all caught up in it. We're, we're clinging to it and we're stuck to it and, and we can't get any rest. And all he can see is more days like this in the future. There's no, he's not looking forward to vacation. There's no vacation. There's no relief that he sees in his future. <clears throat> so he says, I go about mourning, but not in the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. He cry for help. I don't get help. I mourn. There's no help. I don't have any hope. I don't have help. I don't have health. And then he's got verse 29. I love verses like this in the Bible because we Bible speak them and we ruin them. Yeah. I don't care what version you got. It's going to be messed up. I am a brother of jackals. What's everybody else say? Oh, who says dragon? What version? King Jimmy. King Jimmy got it. That's what it says. You might not like what it says. But what it says is tanim in the Hebrew. You remember the guy, the scientist who was here talking about dinosaurs? And you remember the name he put on them? Tanim means large reptile. We, so from that we get dragon, dinosaur, who knows. Job's got a lot of references like that in it. Why we would choose to call it a jackal or a coyote is beyond me. Because it, well, you know, God's going to, oh, I don't want to get too far. God's going to talk about unicorns in this book. In Job. And people are going to say, oh, oh it can't be a unicorn, it's got to be something else. Why? Because you never saw one? Why can't it be a unicorn? I don't mean that they run around on rainbows. But how do you know what critters are? You, you, in your humongous knowledge, there's not room for a critter you haven't seen? I see, you know they caught chupacabra? Well, I don't know if it's really chupacabra, but it's on YouTube, it's gotta be true, right? <laughs> this lady says, I caught chupacabra! She's probably gonna get two million hits and YouTube's gonna send her a check. As far as I'm concerned, that's chupacabra. I wish I'd have thought of that. I caught chupacabra, put my chihuahua in a cage, take a picture of it, you know, put it on the internet for a quarter, you can see a picture. Tanim, dragons. Okay, what's King Jimmy say for the second one? Owls. Ostriches. That word is yachana. Yachana. All they know about Yahana is they think it flies. So, there exists in the Hebrew language, especially the ancient Hebrew, words we don't know anymore. So they've already used the word dragon, which could be a giant reptile. He could be talking about a dinosaur that was still around at that time, certainly in the time of Job. That's definitely possible. Uh, so I am the brother of <coughs> Tanim and the companion of Yahana. The other thing for those, both those words, while we're talking about it, both those words prophetically, both those words are used for demons, darkness, 
evil creatures, which is kind of what we would think about with some of the animals that they utilize for that. So in light of what Job is saying, I'm mourning, I don't have no help, I don't have no hope. It's like I'm a brother or a companion of demons. Nobody wants to be around me. Not too many people want to hang around dragons. Yahana, I would say, was more like a pterodactyl, but, you know, who am I? Uh, nobody wants to hang around with them, neither. But often, metaphorically, in the Bible, especially in the prophets, it's used of, of demons, those, those phrases. Anyways, we will know when we get to heaven. Until then, you can be happy with your jackals and ostriches if you want to. He says in verse 30, My skin grows black and falls for me. Whatever was going on with his skin was horrific. When's the last time your skin turned black and fell off? You know what it looks like? I don't know if you guys have ever seen a guy burned really bad. But uh, I've seen a a couple of guys that got in... uh, accident at work when we were doing striping on the highway and we're using um, uh, thermoplastic which burns at about 450 degrees it's a plastic so you have a furnace under it to keep it melted all the time and they switched the motor on the truck <coughs> the motor ran off of propane and they didn't have time to hook up the propane and the guy we were working for was like got to get it done so just be careful and it was a gas motor so you have a gas motor next to a furnace burning next to 450-degree plastic. You want me to tell you what happened? So while the dude is pouring the gas into the, to the oscillator after it ran out of gas, all it takes is the fumes. So that went up like a big boom. All I seen was a big ball of fire on the back of the truck, and then out came a five-gallon gas can on fire. And the next thing that came out was a dude on fire. And we hit the ground and rolled. I ran over to him and got the flames all off of him. And what I remember is him holding up his arms. And it looked like he had spider webs all over his arms. But the spider webs was his skin. It just falling off. And if you ever seen a guy burn worse, burn so they're blackened, if you touch it, you can't even take a his clothes off you'll take his hide so when job's talking i don't know what it is but that's what it sounds like a dude has just been fried now do you really think the devil can only attack him with natural means you think the devil can only do to him what god said do anything but don't kill him that means he could do anything but not kill him right be surprised what you can live through my skin is blackened falls from me my bones are pierced all this pain going on my bones burn with fever my harp is turned to mourning and my flute to the voice of those who weep so once a time harp partying flute joy singing dancing all that stuff now it's all mourning and weeping and crying the lord gives and the lord takes away And then in chapter 31, we have Job's negative confession. And in this chapter, I see, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord gave, Lord took away. He gives a negative confession here. What do I mean? 
he's, he's, he goes through a litany of sins and failures and says, if I've done this, then this should happen to me. If I've done this, then that should happen to me. If I've done that, then this should happen to me. The concept is, but I haven't done these things. He, he's using the lex talionis. We're going to see it. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The concept of judgment uh, uh, or justice being equal to the crime. And so, as he works his way through that, he's, he's going to work on that concept. But then he's going to look to God. And he's going to say, you tell me. You know, so you tell me. The Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's final words to God is, I'm in your hands. He's declaring that I haven't done these things, but he's also looking to God for that judgment. And it's five chapters away. He says in verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Now, when people come to Job and they read Job and they see stuff like this, they say, well, Job must have been written much later. It must have been written after the time of the law because prior to the law being given, there was no law like that. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You want to really blow your mind? Remember what Jesus said? You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if a man looks at a woman and lusts for her in his heart, he has committed it already. And Job said it before Jesus or the law. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman. For what is the judgment of God if I was to do that thing? He's saying, I'd be guilty if I looked at a woman with lust in my heart. I would be guilty. That's what Job's saying. So I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with my eyes. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that for would not destruction of the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity. Does not he see my ways and count all my steps? See, you could say a lot of things about Job, but I'll tell you this. Job believed that God was everywhere all the time and always watching. And he said, God would see if I did that. God would know if that's how I live my life. Jesus expounded on the law in Matthew chapter 5 and in Exodus, what, around 21, is that right? Somewhere in that area we have the law. And you've got Job laying both those concepts out before the law came and before Jesus spoke. how Job know all that stuff? We had a relationship with God. Doesn't the Bible tell us that we have all been created in the image of God? What does that mean? If I'm created in the image of God, we, we struggle with a lot of different concepts. Straight, I'm created in the image of God, so, so I, I'm a triune being. I, I have this, that, or the other. I'll tell you, God gave you the ability to know right from wrong. Who else knew right from wrong? Well, God did. Adam and Eve in the garden, what does it say? They had to eat of the tree of what? The knowledge of what? Good and evil. So before they ate of that tree, who told them? So we have the image of God. The image of God is 
effaced since Adam and Eve fell. It's messed up. We declared our independence from God. Uh, Adam and Eve's fall was mankind declaring we don't need God. But he has put it in your heart. Why is it you can travel anywhere in the world and people can tell you if something's wrong? Or their society went through all the normal changes and that's how they developed the concept of evil? They all have it. A moral code. Where'd that moral code come from if there's no God? That moral code means you were created in the image of God. He put it in you. You can choose to drown it, burn it, get rid of it, deny it, but it doesn't change it. It's there. It's there within us. Job, in his relationship with God and his understanding of God, he knew right from wrong. And he knew the law wasn't just about the action I did. It was about the thought I thought. The way my mind thought. We're going to see that as we work our way through. What about this? Verse 5. If I walked with falsehood. So he's talking about his conduct being open to God. It's an idea of hypocrisy or living a lie. If I walked with falsehood or if my foot had hastened to deceit, to lie, then let me be weighed on honest scales that God would know my integrity. Never once does Job say, I'm not willing to, to allow God to judge me. If, I've, if I'm wrong, he should. Never once. He said, if, if I lived a lie, if my feet walked in lying or deceit, then let me be weighed in honest scales. Let the judgment equal the crime. Let God <coughs> be my judge. He says, if my step has turned from the way, or my heart walked after my eyes, or if any spot uh, adheres to my hands, then let me sow in another eat, and let my harvest be rooted out. So he, he lays out, in the beginning, in, in the first three verses, he's talking about lust. In these verses that we just looked at, he's talking about dishonesty. If I'm dishonest, if I'm a liar, if I live hypocritic, well, you guys know what I mean. If I live that way, then let me sow in another eat. So I lose my stuff. I, I, I should. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. He says, if my heart, now he's going to talk about adultery. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another, and let others bow down over her. So if I am in disrespectful to my wife, I cheat on my wife, I commit adultery, then she should be able to do the same thing. And for that would be wickedness. It would be iniquity deserving of judgment. That would be a fire that consumes the destruction and would root out all my increase. Literally, he's saying that would destroy everything. If, if I was an adulterer, if I was a, a dishonest person, if I was ruled by lust, what about this? If I oppressed, if I had despised the cause of my male or female servant when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up, when He punishes? How will I answer Him? Did He not... Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us 
in the womb. He's saying no matter how a man is or what a man's station in life, he is deserving of the, the same treatment. All men are created equal. Well, they'll get rid of that in our Bill of Rights soon. Don't worry about it because they got a phrase in there that's going to be a problem for them at some point. Because man wasn't created, right? He came from the goo to you. Man was not created. And what's the next phrase? All men are created equal and are... What's the word? I can't think of the word. Anyway, given inalienable rights by their... What would you say? Endowed. That's the word. Good job. Endowed with inalienable rights. Something like that. By their creator. That's going to be a problem if you're not created and there is no God. That's just the beginning of the Bill of Rights. Well, Job understood those things. He's saying that that's what's going on here in 14 and 15. If I oppressed someone, if I held someone down, if I mistreated somebody, then he talks about being miserly, being stingy. He's going to talk about that twice. If I have kept the poor from their desire or caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or eaten my morsel by myself, so that the, far, so that the fatherless could not eat it. You know we throw away enough food to feed the world, right? Payday someday. Ain't no lie. We throw away enough food. We spend enough money on beer in one weekend of the Super Bowl to feed, to make sure every human being on earth got food. And that's just us. If you don't care, if people don't care about the poor, if they have fullness of food and idleness of time, then they can expect the same thing to happen to two well-known cities that were judged of God for the same thing. Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the iniquity of Sodom and her sister Gomorrah. Fullness of food, idleness of time, and they did not care about the poor. It's crazy. We're not going to be rolling on Fat Street forever. Judgment Day someday. He says, if I, if I did those things, but he says in verse 18, but from my mouth, I reared him as a father. And from my mother's womb, I guided the widow. I always helped. He's saying, but, but if this was true, if I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or any poor man without covering. Oh, that reminds you of something Jesus said? The judgment of the nations, the sheep from the goats. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When, Lord, did we do these things for you? When you did them unto the least of them, my brethren, you did them unto me. Isn't that the same thing Job's saying? It's the same thing. It's the same talk. It's the same same concept. Hey, if I've done these things, I haven't taken care of these things or taken care of these people, then this judgment is righteous that's happening to me. If his heart has not blessed me, and if he has not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, 
He's not saying like James said, when you say to your brother, be filled and warmed. Ooh, I feel full and warm. Thank you. It says, if all you do is speak the blessing and pray the prayer, but you didn't give them food or clothing, what good did you do? James says, don't pray for them by all means. And then give them what you got. Any of us not got extra clothes we don't need? Extra stuff? I once had a person visit me from Russia. I don't know if you ever had an opportunity to be to Russia. I know some of you have. But if you've been in Russia, Russians don't understand decorations. Because life is hard. And you're going from day, shopping day by day, to get that day what you need for that day. There's Now there's a few supermarkets but but back when I went, there wasn't very many, mostly uh, neighborhood markets that you went in. You got what you needed, what you're going to cook that day. She come into my house, and Kathy has a teacup collection on the wall. And tea and coffee, pretty big. Tea mostly, but pretty big in Russia. And you always, you know, everybody has a cup. Four people in a family have four cups. Four plates. Four forks. Four spoons. She looked up on a wall and wanted to know why we had a hundred cups. What's that for? Well, it's, it's a collection of our excess. And I don't really think about it at all until somebody's there to don't have any of that stuff. And I think really more churches ought to think about that stuff. I know churches who have multi-million dollar building programs. That's cool. You got to have a building and a place to fit people. But there's still people starving every day. Couldn't get by with less and do more out there. That's what Job was saying. God called Job a righteous man. There's nobody like him on earth. That was Job's attitude. That's the way Job lived his life. And so he couldn't understand why all these things were coming on him. If I had raised my hand against the fatherless when I saw I had help in the gate, then let my arm fall from my shoulder and my arm be torn from its socket. For destruction from God is a terror to me. And because of his magnificence, I cannot endure. He said, I would not live my life this way because I fear God. So why don't people live like this anymore? They don't fear God. Warm Jackie, God's a God of love. I shouldn't be afraid of him. Mm, they don't say he's not just a God of love. There's a whole lot more to God than love. He's all loving for sure. And because he's all loving, he's all justice. And he's all righteous. He feared God, so he wouldn't do these things. Because he feared God, he helped. Because he feared God, he reached out. If I have made gold my hope... Or said to find gold, you're my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great, and because my hand had gained much, 
If I had observed the sun when it shines, or the moon moving in brightness, so that my heart had been secretly enticed, and my mouth kissed my hand, then this would also be an iniquity deserving of judgment, for I would have denied God who is above. Now he's talking about idolatry. If I worship gold or silver, or the sun and the moon, if I myself am my idol, I kissed my hand, I'm so great. Then I deserve the judgment, for I have denied God who is above. You ever think about that when you think about the idolatry in your life? The idolatry in our life is a denial of God. I do when I when I think about Job. If gold was my thing, silver was my thing, Then he talks about vindictiveness. If I had rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me. If I had rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me. I've done that. I gloried on desert storm and the bombs going off and the army whooping the butt of them people who knocked down the twin towers. I gloried in the fact that there were people dying out in the sand. But those people were dying without the Lord. Was it judgment day for them? Maybe so. But my God doesn't glory in the destruction of the wicked. And if I reflect my God, should I? Or if I lifted myself up when evil found him. In other words, I was happy about him getting his desserts. Indeed, I had not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for a curse on his soul. Job says, that was never my attitude. If the men of my tent... Have not said, who is there who has not been satisfied with his meat? In other words, is anybody here in my house still hungry? Not satisfied. But he says, but no sojourner had to lodge in the street. That means he had the gift of hospitality. In the Middle Eastern culture, hospitality is huge. You saw someone in the street, you invite them in your house. In the ancient Near East, there was not such a thing as homeless. But it's everybody else's problem, right? Somebody else should be responsible for that guy. You guys know when homeless came, right? Maybe you don't remember. Mental hospitals and institutions began to put out their patients. There was no longer any government funding for them. That was the beginning. I have never, ever met a homeless person or a street person or a person that, you know, is on meth or whatever that was not. Besides being broken, a little broken in the head. Once upon a time, I looked at him without compassion. Somebody else's problem. So God fixed me. He gave me one. Go ahead and you tell me what happens to Joe when me and Kathy die. Do his brothers take him? What if they can't handle him? What happens to Joe? Where does he go? Who takes care of him? Is he the homeless guy in the street? 
It's a guy that comes to church here. He's not here tonight, so I'll talk about him. With a dog in his coat. You guys seen him before, ain't you? Lives in a camper. That's all he's got. He rents it. I know, sometimes we pay it. He's smelly. And he drinks too much. And he don't fit in a, I don't know, box of churchianity. But every time he comes here, I'll do what I can. Because that's just Joe. Old, with nobody left to take care of him. You say what you want. I see him every day. If you work here, you see him walk through that door every day. Somebody's got to help him, don't they? Don't God want us to? That's what Job's saying, isn't it? That's why he's saying, I did all these things and then all this stuff has happened to me. Made sure people had what they needed. Nobody's on the streets. He says, in verse 33, hypocrisy wasn't his thing. If I covered my transgressions like Adam, how did Adam cover his transgressions? He looked around, he was naked, so what did he do? He wore leaves, right? So if I was like Adam, covered my transgressions by hiding my iniquity, trying to hide my sin, because I feared the great multitude, I was so afraid that people are going to know I'm naked. People are going to know, so I'm going to wear these leaves. That'll, that'll take care of it. And dreaded the contempt of family so that I kept silence and did not go out of the door. Oh, that I had one to hear me. He says, man, I, that's not my, my thing. I don't hide my sin. I took sacrifice every day. Every day I came to God and said, forgive me of my sins. Every day. You know how much that cost? How many lambs is that in a year? Year after year after year. But he, he made his sacrifice. He said, man, that's, that's not it. So look at verse 35. 35. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me. That my prosecutor had written a book. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it to me like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Like a prince I would approach him. You know what Job didn't have that you do? The book. It's right there. Job's too early for it. Job said, if only I had a book, man, that, that'd be the, the most important thing. It would, would guide me, it would lead me, it would be the thing that I <clears throat> marked my life by. And oh, if God would just speak, if God would just tell me what I'd done, I'll accept His judgment. Whatever it is. I just don't know why this is happening. You know the crazy thing? If you could have talked to Job right here. God's going to talk to him in five chapters. Maybe you could have talked to Job right here. He would tell you, I am defeated. What was the truth? 
He whooped Satan's butt. So your feelings don't always tell the truth. They don't always tell the truth. Sometimes we think we're losing, but we're not. If my land cries out against me and its furrows weep together, if I have eaten its fruit without money or caused its owners to lose their lives, then let thistle grow instead of wheat and weeds instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. Job is saying, if I've done wrong, then God tell me what it is. Because I don't know what it is. I lived my life walking by faith and trusting in your sacrifice. So if blood of the sacrifice is not enough, then I don't know what to do. So one more week before God shows up. we got to listen to Elihu. I'm sorry, but he's in there. And I'm so done hearing Job's friends, but i got to hear one more. Elihu. He's like the worst of all of them. We're going to do five chapters next week because I don't want to spend two weeks talking about Elihu. He gets one. I don't care how long he speaks. Because <laughs> God's going to talk after that and I really want to get to him. Elihu? That's it. Elihu? So Job finished. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. He finishes his battle holding on to God. He don't got nothing else. He don't have answers even, but he's holding on to God. How many people have let go of God for much less? How many people? Job teaches us how to finish the battle. Paul said it like this, 1 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. 2 Timothy, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. You only get to finish one way. Hold on to God to the end. 